Hey, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you're new, I just want to welcome you to Calvary Raleigh. We are so glad that you chose to worship with us today. For those of you who don't know, my name is Jackson Flieger. I am the student pastor here. Uh, I have one of the best jobs in the world. And as always, whenever I preach on a Sunday morning, I come bearing news about our student ministry. When I think of all the words that Jesus said throughout the Gospels, I think of this one phrase where he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Our student ministry has this amazing opportunity to reach so many different students. Not only those of church members and people who come on Sunday mornings, but we reach a lot of different students who don't have a church home. They don't have parents that take them to church on Sundays. They don't have parents that pray with them, point them to scripture. We have a great opportunity to reach a lot of students from the the Raleigh area, from the Triangle area. But here's the thing we're running into. As we're kind of entering slowly out of COVID, uh, we have lost a lot of our youth leaders. So we are in desperate need of people who wanna serve in our student ministry. So if you look at yourself and you say, I think I could serve in student ministry, I would love to talk to you afterwards. I would love to buy you lunch at some point, buy you a coffee. We need people. If we're going to continue to make disciples and we're going to reach more and more students, we need more volunteers. We need more people who say, I am willing to make disciples. The harvest is plentiful. There are tons of students all over the triangle, but we need people who are ready and able and excited to reach them. So I would challenge you and ask you to just pray for us. We know that God has the people already in mind. We just got to find them. So we get a, a fun job of trying to find out who God has in store for our student ministry. And hey, Listen, we have a fun event coming up on May 23rd where we've rented out a trampoline park for our student ministry. So that could be your first event serving in our student ministry. And if you're a rising sixth grader, uh, that means you're fifth grade going into sixth grade. We would love to invite you to Defy Raleigh with us on May 23rd. It's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure to sign up. That's already available online. It's going to be a great time and we are looking forward to it. So with that, we'll transition uh, into our sermon. So over the past few weeks, uh, Pastor David, our senior pastor, has been looking at different emotions uh, that we feel and that we really have been feeling over this past year and what the Bible has to say about those, what Jesus Christ has to say about those. And we've really seen a great reaction from that. We've had a lot of great conversations for the longest time. Pastor David's been saying, I just don't know where people are at right now. And we're starting to figure out we know where people are at and we know where we need to go from here. So this morning we're going to be looking at the emotion of anger. And I told Pastor David, uh, I won't be standing outside afterwards because he's had people who have been sad coming out to him. I don't want angry people coming out to me, right? So they can find someone else, a deacon or a trustee or someone else to talk to afterwards. But this morning we're going to look at the emotion of anger. It's so, uh, really, it's a common uh, emotion. It seems like everyone these days is angry. You can't go anywhere without finding someone who is angry. It's safe to say that our nation is in some of the angriest times we've ever been in. Uh, Anger is so common, it's just like waking up and brushing your teeth or showering. You heard that middle school guys, right? Showering, brushing your teeth, simple things like that. But anger is everywhere, right? It's so common and we come in contact with it every single day. It's like you either know someone who's angry, you have someone who's angry at you, or you're angry yourself, right? We all fit into those different categories or we're just not on social media, right? But anger is everywhere we go. Every single one of us feels anger at some point in our life. And it begs the question, we should ask the question, why are people angry, right? What are people angry at? And that is a hard question to answer because there's so many possible answers to that. 
Some people are mad at the grocery store because someone cuts them off or maybe doesn't have their mask up all the way. Or some people are mad in traffic because you're driving a little too fast or you cut them off, you uh, merge too soon or something like that. Some people are mad at their spouse for not uh, carrying out the vows that they made on their wedding day. They're angry at a husband or a wife because they feel like they're not fulfilling them in their marriage. Some teenagers are mad at their parents because they feel like their parents are holding them back or kind of being helicopter parents and cramping their style, right? Or some people are mad at their parents because they didn't truly love them and and care about them like they should have. Some people are mad at their teacher for grading them too hard or mad at their kid's coach because they don't play him or her enough. Right, we're mad at so many different things. Maybe a boss, a coworker, maybe a celebrity or a politician, different institutions and different companies for their beliefs and the way that they let those play out. We might be angry at a tweet, a TikTok, a pair of shoes, or a text message. We are angry at so many different things. And I only mentioned just a few. We could go around the room and mention all these different things that people are angry at. So this begs the question, what do we do with this emotion called anger? If it's around us everywhere, what are we to do with it? How do we handle it? Is anger a good thing or is it a bad thing? Should I bottle it up and keep it inside and never let anybody see it? Or should I unleash it for all the world to see? Should I be ashamed of my anger or should I be proud of it? Is it godly or is it sinful? Is God happy with me when I'm angry or is he mad at me? What do we do with anger? I recently watched a movie. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, so I won't give you the name of it. But uh, the first few minutes of the movie kind of started out uh, depicting the USA as the angry it's, it's ever been. It was based kind of in the future, and it was all these cutscenes, news stories. People were just angry. Tensions were high. It was kind of just spilling over. Everyone was angry at everyone. And the basis of the movie was this guy gets honked at in traffic, and she honks a little bit too long, and she doesn't apologize to him. So he goes on this murderous rampage, right, and just loses his mind and tries to make her day miserable. And as I was watching that movie, I was like, I feel like maybe other than the murderous rampage, we're not too far off from this anger, just everyone being angry at each other and ready to explode. It seems like we're there, doesn't it? So many people are angry, and we find anger everywhere. And we'll be comforted to know that Jesus Christ experienced anger, right? There's hope for us. We don't have to be like that movie where everyone just hates each other. We can see Jesus and how he handled anger, what he did when he was angry, what made him angry, and we can learn from him, just like we have with different emotions like anxiety and other things like that. But before we look at Jesus and how he handled anger, we have to ask the question. Ask yourself this question. Is it a sin to be angry? Is it a sin? Is it wrong for you to be angry? If you don't read your Bible closely, you might think that it's a sin. James 1, 2 says, Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Ecclesiastes says, Anger resides in the lap of fools. Proverbs tells us, Do not associate with one easily angered. And in Colossians, a list of sins is given to be avoided, and one of them is anger. It says, You must rid yourself of anger. While it's true that anger is destructive and can quickly lead to sin and can quickly destroy your life, your marriage, your families, your career, marriage can wreck, or uh, uh, anger can wreck you. Hopefully your marriage isn't wrecking you this morning. But right, anger can destroy us. It can be sinful, but the Bible does make it clear that you can be angry and not sin. Look at Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. The Apostle Paul says this, be angry and do not sin. 
sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Here, we're told that we can be angry and not sin. It is possible to feel the emotion of anger and not be sinning. It's possible to be good and angry, to be righteous and angry at the same time. To be angry and God still be happy with you in that moment. It is possible to feel the emotion of anger and to not immediately be sinning, right? To not ruin your life. But why is it that whenever we feel anger, it feels like we're sinning? I don't know about you, but it seems like most of the time when I get angry, it doesn't lead to righteousness, right? It doesn't lead to to actions that glorify God. It seems like most of the time when I get angry, I'm sinning right? I'm messing things up. I'm unrighteous, right? I would imagine a lot of you feel that with me. I'm not seeing it in your faces, but I hope I'm not the only one here, right? It feels like most of the time when I get angry, it does not produce the righteous life that God desires. Why is that? I think it's this, because you and I have misplaced anger and we don't handle our anger correctly, Right? We handle our anger in all the wrong ways, and we're angry at all the wrong things. Uh, Today, uh, we'll look at the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger, or how Paul David Tripp would say, big kingdom anger and little kingdom anger. We'll look at that in just a few moments. Why don't you turn with me to Matthew 21, 12 through 14, as we look at what made Jesus angry and how he handles his anger. We're going to look at the what, the source of Jesus' anger, and how he handled it. And hopefully this will be beneficial for you and I as we live in such an angry, angry culture. It says in verse 12, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, Jesus said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we're able to sing songs. Jesus, we love you. That is our prayer right now. We love you so much. We are so thankful for all that you do for us, uh, for allowing us to be able to gather as a body in person and online and throughout the week. We just praise you for all those mercies. And Lord, we pray in these next few moments that you would speak to us through your spirit, through your word. These are such angry, angry times, Lord. I know there's somebody in here right now who's very angry, who has struggled with anger probably even today. Lord, we need your help. We need to learn how to handle anger correctly, how we can be angry in a way that glorifies you. Lord, help us to see that today. We pray that we would glorify you and honor you in everything that we say and everything that we do. And we pray all this in your wonderful and holy name. Amen. So we have to understand the context of Jesus' anger. Like, what was the situation in which he gets angry, right? Because every time you and I get angry, something happens, right? We don't just wake up and we're angry. There's something that makes us angry. What made Jesus angry? In the verses before our passage, Jesus has just entered into Jerusalem on the donkey, right? This is the triumphal entry, what we usually celebrate on Palm Sunday. Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the week of Passover. And in first century, uh, every Jew in the Roman Empire would travel to Jerusalem to make sacrifices at the temple for Passover. It was a big deal for them. There would have been thousands of people flooding the streets, going to the temple to make sacrifices. The temple was a holy and sacred place. It was the the house of God, right? God showed up at the temple many times throughout the Old Testament. It was a big deal to them, right? It doesn't carry the same idea as a church, right? This was where they went to meet 
God, to be in the presence of God. The temple was a beautiful and holy place. It had many different parts, many different courts, and on the outermost part of the temple, was called, it was called the Gentile court. That's what we read. It says Jesus entered the temple courts. This is what Jesus enters in. It's the Gentile court. So this was for anybody who converted to Judaism but wasn't a Jew by blood, right? So it was a Gentile who became a Jew. This is where they would go to worship, where they would go in the temple, but they couldn't go any farther than the Gentile court. This is where they would enter into And what had happened was the temple was being misused. There were money changers in there selling livestock as sacrifices for the people to make, right? The people should have brought uh, sacrifices from their own livestock, but they were selling the doves and different lambs and things like that. And the money changers were jacking up the prices, making a lot of money. What should have been a place of worship had been turned into like a marketplace, right? Picture like a state fair, just hustle, bustle, all kinds of crazy stuff. That's what the temple had been turned into. It was being misused and mistreated, and people were being misused and mistreated. And this is the situation in which Jesus gets angry in, right? This is what he walks into, into the temple, and he sees the hypocrisy, the dishonor for God, the greed of the money changers, right? The abuse of the people trying to worship. This is what Jesus is slapped in the face with and what he sees, and this is why he becomes angry and starts flipping tables and all these different things. So we're going to look at a a few reasons or a a few different things that we can pull from about Jesus' anger. But it's important to understand, Jesus wasn't mainly known for his anger. He was known for love, right? What do we know Jesus as? The one who loved the outcast. He was there for the poor and needy. He healed the lepers. He forgave sinners. He was known for his love and mercy and compassion mostly, right? He wasn't known as this angry guy who was just flipping tables every day. So I don't want you to go home and start flipping tables and start yelling at your family and say, I'm just being like Jesus right now. No, no. Jesus' anger was far and few in between. Like, it was spread out. It wasn't a daily thing. He was known daily for his love for people, right? For his holiness, for his compassion. But he did have righteous anger, and that's what we'll look at this morning. And the first thing we'll see is that Jesus was angry on behalf of those who were mistreated. We say, what was the source of Jesus' anger? Well, if we notice, Jesus isn't mad about anything that's being done to him. We often get mad when someone inconveniences us or wrongs us, does something to us that makes us angry. But Jesus isn't mad about what's done to him. And if we think about it, if there was anybody who ever deserved to be uh, mad at what was done to him, it was Jesus, right? Did people criticize Jesus unjustly? Of course. Did they take shots at Jesus? Of course. Did people hate Jesus for no good reason? Of course. Was Jesus the, uh, the, the greatest victim ever, right? He, received the, he was on the receiving end of the greatest injustice ever? Of course. He was a perfect man, God in human flesh who was crucified, killed unjustly. If there was anyone who ever had the right to be righteously angry at something that was done to him, it was Jesus. But we see here that's not why he's angry. He's not angry at what's been done to him, but he's angry at what's being done to others. Jesus doesn't get angry when he's criticized, when his rights are violated. He doesn't get angry when people disagree with his views. He never loses his mind and goes to Facebook or Twitter and rants about it. That's not the source of Jesus' anger. It's not about what's been done to him. Jesus was angry at the people who were mistreating his father's house and the people inside of it. That was the source of his anger. It wasn't self-focused. 
He wasn't self-concerned about himself, so concerned about himself, but it was concern and care for others. He was angry at the money changers who had taken his father's house and turned it into a place of greed and materialism and about money. He was angry at the people who took the Gentiles' place of worship and turned it into a marketplace. That's what Jesus was angry about. He wasn't angry because people did things to him or said mean things to him. His anger was directed at the mistreatment and the injustices that were being done in this temple. That was the source of his anger. Not self-focused, but about what other people were having done to them. And I think you and I need to pause because our anger doesn't always look like that. Our anger is not always focused on what's being done to others, but it's often focused on what's being done to us. I mentioned earlier there's a thing, uh, a difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger, or how Paul David Tripp would say there's big kingdom anger and little kingdom anger. And what he means by that is there's two differences. Big kingdom anger concerns itself with the things of God. That kind of anger gets mad at the things that God gets mad about, right? Because God does get angry, but little kingdom anger concerns itself with the things of me, with the things of self. If I have little kingdom anger, I'm only getting mad about things that I care about, that affect me, that uh, rob me of some kind of joy or happiness. Big kingdom anger would look like this. You getting mad that Christians are being persecuted across the world unjustly and unfairly. That's things that God gets mad about. Big kingdom anger would be getting mad at racism in our society. Or the fact that unborn babies are killed every day and people celebrate it. The anger that God has would be getting mad at a society that uplifts pornography while it's destroying marriages, the minds of young people, and it's feeding sex trafficking. That's the kind of anger that God has, the kind of things that God gets angry at. Political con uh, corruption, unjustness, sin, those are things that God gets angry at. That's what it's like to be a part of big kingdom anger, godly kind of anger. Things that upset our heavenly Father, but little kingdom anger is getting angry when someone changes the channel and you were watching that. Or you get out of church a little late and you miss kickoff on the football game. Or when someone offends me, betrays me, talks bad about me. Little King and Manger is all about me, me, me. The anger is self-focused. It's selfish. It's anger that only happens when someone wrongs me, inconveniences me. You see the difference between the two angers? The difference between the kind of anger that Jesus had because people were misusing the temple and mistreating people, but when I get angry, it's because someone's mistreating me. And that's not to make light of some of the things that people do to you, but often our anger is from just silly things that we shouldn't get angry at. I want to ask you this. How many times this past week did you get mad on behalf of the kingdom of God? And now compare that to how many times did you get mad on behalf of the kingdom of self? What does that reveal in our heart and in our life? Probably that we're being pretty selfish. <laughs> that we're pretty self-focused. That we're thinking more about ourselves than we are about the kingdom of God. That we concern ourselves more with things that happen in this world than things that God cares about. Let our hearts repent of this. Why was Jesus upset? Why was he angry? Not because of anything done to him, but because of what was being done to other people. He was angry on behalf of God the Father. 
You say, how can I know if my anger is righteous or not? Well, what's the reason? What's the source? Why are you getting angry in the first place? And is your anger leading you to sin? Because if it is, it is not godly anger. It does not have the approval of God. But as we move along, we learn something else from Christ. We see that when Jesus got angry, he flipped tables. He didn't flip people. This is important for us to understand in the crazy, crazy culture that we're living in. I don't think, uh, you may not understand, you probably do. We live in a crazy world. There's crazy on all sides of the spectrum, right? We have gone crazy, and it's important for us to understand that when Jesus got angry, he flipped a table, not a person. We don't read as Jesus gets angry that he runs into the temple and he starts cussing people out, right? It's not like a WWE Friday night smackdown and Jesus starts coming in and throwing people through tables and crazy stuff like that. That's not what Christ does here. He doesn't lose his mind and lash out on the people, but he flips the table. And the table was actually very significant, and it was very smart and wise of Christ. The table was where the transactions were taking place that were the source of the mistreatment, right? This is where the sales were taking place that were disrespecting the temple and robbing the people of their place of worship. So by flipping the table, Jesus was disrupting the system. He was messing it all up for the people. This was smart of him. It was wise. Even in his anger, he was not just lashing out, but he was wise. And every decision he made had a purpose. And this is really cool because it's very theologically significant. Because by doing this, by flipping the table and driving the people out of the temple, Jesus was putting himself as an authority in the temple. He was driving out all the religious leaders, all the hypocrites. He was driving them all out and putting himself as a religious leader, right? Putting himself as an authority over all the other people in the temple. This was very messianic. He was saying, I am the Messiah. This is my temple, right? I'm going to rewrite things. It's very, very cool that he does that. And now some people will hear Jesus flipping a table and be like, yes, finally, let's go fight back. Let's go fight the system that I don't like right? Let's go burn down a building. Let's go storm a government building, right? Jesus is on my side. Not so fast, right? We as Christians need to be careful in our anger, led by the Holy Spirit. We must practice wisdom and discernment and caution in our anger, right? We shouldn't use this as a pass to go destroy or do whatever we want to do. We need to practice wisdom, and you and I are tempted to do this. This will be on the screen. When we feel strongly about something, we are tempted to think our perspective is a righteous posture. When I'm very, very uh, passionate about something, I can easily turn in just what I'm feeling, what I'm seeing, my perspective into a righteous posture. We feel strongly about something and we immediately feel like we're right and our feelings and emotions are justified. And that's not always the case. Just because you feel something doesn't mean it's right. And just because you're angry at something doesn't mean you have this righteous anger because you believe it and you're passionate about it. But we do that all the time. That's happened all over our country lately as we've been reopening different things, right? You have people on one side saying, no, this is going too quickly. We need to slow down. And you have another side of people who are saying, no, we need to open things up. And they're both passionate. They both have this, what they think, righteous anger. And they lash out at each other and end up being very sinful towards each other. This happens with reopening churches, schools, businesses. It's happened all the time. And I'm not being political. I didn't say a thing politically, right? I'm not taking a side or anything like that. I'm just showing you. People get passionate about something, 
feel like they have this righteous anger and then they lash out on people and it shows you it's not righteous anger. We need to be careful. Here's the thing. So many people in their effort to be right, in their effort to follow their feelings, in the middle of their emotions, they feel like what they have is righteous anger, but they forget to be loving. We feel like we have righteous anger. We feel like we're on the right side of things, but in that we forget to love others. Think about it. The two greatest commandments that rest on your life are to love God and to love other people. And look at Mark 12, 30 and 31. That's the two greatest commandments you have on your life as a follower of Christ, to love God and to love other people. So let's be careful that our anger doesn't turn into unrighteous anger that leads us to justifying unloving behavior. If your anger leads you to justifying unloving behavior towards another person, you do not have righteous anger. You do not have anger that reflects Jesus. Remember that we as Christians, our goal is not to be right, to win an argument, to have someone believing our side. Our goal is to love people as Christ loved them. In every situation, especially those that are not clearly laid out and defined in Scripture, we need to be careful and we need to be quick to love, quick to love as Christ loved. Let us practice wisdom and care as we enter into these situations because it's easy to translate your perspective into a righteous posture. Let us be careful, 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 careful. Do you want to be angry like Jesus? Then be angry on the behalf of others and flip tables, not people. And lastly, this will be our last point. When Jesus got angry, he loved and healed those who were hurting. How many of you struggle with this? When you get angry, it take, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'll raise mine. I struggle with this. When I get angry, my anger ends up taking at least a few hours of my day, right? I don't get angry and just go right back to normal. Typically, I, I get in a little bit of a mood, right? I, I miss out on my day. I miss out on opportunities to love people or maybe to share the gospel, right? Because I'm in a bad mood, because I'm angry. You probably feel this, right? You get angry and you're not just ready to go share the gospel or to love on people. You miss out on opportunities. You waste some of your day in your anger. I know I do, but this doesn't happen to Jesus. He doesn't waste any time to love people. In the middle of his righteous anger, he's healing people and loving people. Look at verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. You see, the blind and the lame, they were outcasts. Nobody liked them. One pastor says this, the blind and the lame, most of whom were necessarily beggars. They gathered around the temple, begging for money and just hoping to be healed. These people would have been all around the temple entrance, just begging people, right? Like back when I was younger, I got in a car wreck and had to go downtown to the courthouse a few times. And when you would go there, there would be a lot of people outside begging for money as you would go in. And this is kind of how the temple was. There was a lot of people outside begging for money and people just overlooked them. They thought that it was their own sin or God's punishment and that's why they were blind. That's why they were crippled and you, they wouldn't help them. But as Jesus is driving out those who are uh, misusing the temple, he brings in different people. You notice that? He drives out the hypocrisy and the money changers and the religious leaders who were just really making a mockery of God's temple. And he brings in the lame and the blind and those who were outcasts who were not allowed in the temple. And this is a beautiful picture of the gospel and what Jesus does for us. 
Because through his death and resurrection in Jesus Christ, God, we, we have access to God now, right? It's not just Jews who can enter into the temple and worship God, but we can enter into a church and have access to God the Father. It's a beautiful thing, a beautiful picture of the gospel. Jesus invites the blind and the lame to be healed and to enjoy his presence. In Jesus' anger, he doesn't go to Facebook or Twitter and start ranting, right? He doesn't get mad and start flipping out on people in sinful ways. His day isn't ruined by his anger, and he's not got his feelings hurt about what's been done to us or to him. Right? In the heat of his anger, he's loving people. He's caring for people. He's healing people. It's beautiful that Jesus, even as he is angry, is able to accomplish his mission on earth. So let me ask you this. If in your anger you're not able to love people, is your anger pleasing to God? No. If your anger, if in your anger you lose your ability to show mercy and love to other people, your anger does not please God. If your anger takes control of you and ruins your whole day and you feel like you just lose control of yourself, your anger is sinful and dangerous. If your anger does not lead to others being helped, comforted, or healed, then your anger is not like the anger of Jesus. You see, big kingdom anger would lead us to fighting for the unborn or fighting against different injustices, and people benefit from that anger. But when I get angry at things that affect me, no one really benefits from that. I'm fighting for myself in that moment with that anger. But we look at Jesus and he heals people. He loves people and he welcomes them in to the temple. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And as we turn to the life application, I want to think about this story if it happened in 2021. Think about it for a second. What would happen in this story if it happened today? If it happened tomorrow, right? I think social media would be trending with something like, money changers get canceled, man named Jesus exposes corruption at temple, right? People would be rushing to social media, say, oh, cancel, cancel the temple, cancel the money changers. This is, this is crazy, this is awful. And you say, what do you mean by cancel? Because maybe, maybe you're not familiar with the term. There's a thing in our society right now called cancel culture, and it's basically just if a celebrity, pastor, politician, athlete, or someone says something that does not go with what is uh, correct at that time in society, we cancel them, we get rid of them, we strip them of their endorsements, we strip them of their dignity, right? And we just push them to the curb and we cancel them out. No more of that athlete, no more of that pastor, right? They're canceled. And isn't that what people would do today to these uh, money changers? They would be kicked out. They would be canceled. But think about this. Think about Jesus and all the people who hurt him and mistreated him. The, Pharisee, the Pharisees, Pontius Pilate, Peter, Herod, Judas turned him over. The beautiful thing is that Jesus did not cancel a single one of them. Do you realize that? Jesus didn't cancel a single one of them. They were all wrong. They all sinned against him, but Christ did not cancel them. And that is good news for you and me. That is great news for you and me. Because we may be wrong in our anger. You may be stuck in a different kind of sin. You may have something else that's going wrong in your life or some other area that does not glorify God. But God is not here to cancel you, to get rid of you, to cast you out, to throw you away and move on to the next person. 
I don't know where you are all at right now, but some of you may be in places that are not good and you're afraid to come to God because you don't know what he would think about you, what he would do to you. The beautiful thing is God is not here to cancel you. Think about this. Aren't you thankful that Jesus cancels the sin, but not the sinner? Listen to Colossians 2, 13 through 15. It says, you were dead because of your sins and because, of your sin, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed, uh, disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Right now, today, you don't have to be canceled. You can have your sin canceled for you. On the cross, Jesus canceled your sin. He took the penalty that your sin deserved. You and I, because we're sinners, right? Because we get angry and we do all sorts of other things, we deserve to be punished, right? That would be just for us to be punished for our sins. But Christ, on the cross, took our punishment. Christ could have tossed us aside. God could have moved on to the next person, but he didn't because he loves you and he loves me. He couldn't just toss us away because he had a great love for us. So he came and he died for you so that you might live forever. I am thankful that I have had my sins canceled by Christ. And now I can stand before you with my eternity secured forever and ever and ever because I am found in Christ. I am righteous in Christ because he died for me. And there may be somebody in here, you realize that your life is messed up, you realize that you're a sinner, and you realize that you cannot do this on your own. You cannot save yourself, you cannot live life by yourself, on your own, you just keep messing it up. And I'm here to tell you, God does not wanna cancel you, but he wants to cancel your sin. The payments made available through what Christ did on the cross, all you have to do is respond in faith. Repent of your sins. To repent means to be going one way and to turn the other way, right? You're going down this path and then you repent of your sins and you start following God. You go from that little kingdom to that big kingdom. All you have to do is repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross for you. It's not through anything we do, it's all through what he has done on the cross. He's canceled our sins. He's made the payment. And now you and I can be saved. And I would call on you today, if you've never cried out to Jesus and asked for forgiveness for your sins, repented and turned to do that today. God is waiting not to cancel you out, but to save you from your sins. As we think about it, I want to ask this question. Are you angry at somebody right now? Are you angry at somebody right now? When I ask that question, who comes to mind? Maybe it's a family member or a friend. Maybe it's a politician or something like that. Man, we live in a fallen world, which means people are going to sin against us. People are going to hurt us. People will sin against you 
but don't allow yourself to fall into sin by holding on to anger and bitterness. Right, you may never get an apology from that person. They may never come to you and say, I'm so sorry for hurting you so deeply. They may never even realize what they did to you, what they said to you. But let go of that. Forgive them as Christ has forgiven you and begin to find healing and restoration in your relationship with Christ. Don't hold on to anger and bitterness. That is a burden way too heavy to carry. And some of us in here have been holding on to anger and bitterness for years and years and years. And I'm not saying what that person did to you wasn't hard. It didn't hurt. I'm not saying any of that. But they sinned. Don't allow yourself to fall into sin by holding on to anger and bitterness. Let it go. Let that weight fall off of your back. You say, I don't know if I can do that. There's power in Christ for you to do it. I promise you, through the Holy Spirit working inside of you, you can forgive and let go and move on and find freedom from your bitterness. As we think about the body of Christ, I'm thankful that the body of Christ is so big and so diverse because I don't know about you, but I see a lot of problems in our world and I just don't have enough righteous anger to fix them all, right? I just don't. And I'm thankful that there's such diversity, right? We all have different passions, things that we really, really uh, feel strongly about. There's some of us in here who will fight for marriages. So you'll fight against pornography and divorce. Some of us will fight against racism. Some of us will fight for the unborn. Or you might fight uh, against human trafficking or for people who struggle with mental illness. The body is so big and that's the beautiful thing that we can all go out and make an impact on our world. I'm thankful for our diversity in that. And I hope that you would say, man, what am I passionate about? What is God passionate about and what am I passionate about? And how can I have a righteous anger that can make a difference? But in your anger, whatever you fight for, on behalf of Jesus, remember, do not sin. You can take a, a, a good cause and find yourself sinning, right? We think about the people who go outside an abortion clinic, and instead of loving on the women walking in, they begin to scream in their face and, and cuss them out and yell at them. That is not love, right? That's uh, unrighteous anger. We don't want to be like that. Let us still, in our anger, love God and love people. And lastly... Let us move forward as a unified church. Such a divided world needs a united church, a unified church. When we step out of these doors, there is so much division, so much hatred, so much anger that we need to step out as a church that is united, as a body that is united. And there's things that we can uh, find unity over, right? Like our hatred for sin like our hatred for the devil, like our love for the gospel and the great commission. Let's unite around those things. Do you realize that all the messed up stuff that's happening in our world is because of sin and the devil? So instead of channeling our anger to another person, let's channel it to sin and to the devil because we can all agree that we hate those things and it's okay to hate them. And let's unite around our passion to make disciples, to follow the Great Commission.
to go to every nation, reach them with the gospel. Let us walk out of these doors united. And if you have anger in the next few moments as we sing and as we pray, if you have anger inside of you right now, I would encourage you to leave that in this room. Don't walk out of those doors holding on to bitterness, holding on to anger. Whoever it's directed towards, let it go. Lay it at the foot of the cross. And if you've never responded to the gospel with faith and trust and repentance, I would call on you to do that now. Let God cancel your sin because you can't do it on your own. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that even though we are angry, messed up people, you did not cancel us. You did not throw us away, but you sent your son to save us, to pay the penalty for our sins. Lord, we are so thankful for that. There are people in this room right now who have never responded to the gospel in faith and trust. And I pray that as we sing, you would embolden them. You would give them the courage that they would walk out of this room a follower of you. God, we pray that your spirit would do a mighty, mighty work in their heart. there's people in here that are holding on to anger bitterness might be towards another church member family member co-worker whoever it may be help that person to let go to forgive that person as you have forgiven them God you've forgiven us of so much who are we to withhold forgiveness Lord please help us we move forward, help us to have righteous anger. To be angry at the things that anger you. Sin. And the effects of sin in this world. Lord, let us love you well by being angry like Jesus was angry. Lord, unify your church. Build your church. Strengthen your church. know the gates of hell will not prevail against your church, but we ask even now that you would help us. Help us to love each other more. Help us to be united. God, we ask that you would be glorified in everything that Calvary Raleigh Church does. We ask that you would be glorified in everything that we do in our lives. Help us with this thing called anger, Lord. We need you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. In the next few moments.